Hola, Filterinos. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. As you know, uh, this decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. We believe everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We're going to have a bunch of links in our show notes. Everybody here at Pop Filter encourages you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet with the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This season, we are taking a look at 1982, and tonight we have a very special episode for you, in that it's less special than almost any of our other episodes. (laughs) The bracket, she giveth, but she also taketh away some movies that maybe we wanted to cover as well. So, there's a little bonus episode, I'm going to put away the scores... So all the Greg heads can stop complaining about how he always loses. And I love this. And hey, Greg heads, you can fucking eat it. Getting a little bit of pushback on how often I uh, totally fail to win. And we're going to um, take a look at a movie off the bracket. This one's just for us. No scoring. This can't win. It can definitely get nominated for Moody's at the end of the season. And it uh, will. And that movie is called... Night Shift, Ron Howard's probably only movie ever to ever be in the movie of the year show before or after this until we do Far and Away. With me, as always, is Mike. Mike, are you ready for the absolute avalanche of shit posts the Gregheads are about to send to you? <laughs> yeah, I thrive on it, Gregheads. Fucking feed me. Fuel me for the next week with your hate and rage. Even though I think Greg won the last two weeks, so whatever. <laughs> And Greg, uh, I'm so glad that you took a break from creating thousands and thousands of social media accounts, yeah. all with different names, to attack Mike. Yeah, well, that that's that's what it takes. My bot army. Um, unfortunately, made too many bots, and Elon Musk was like, I will no longer use my emerald money to buy Twitter because Greg has made too many bots. And I feel bad about that. I do. On the day of this recording, I have seen the tweet... Um, Elon Musk pulled out of the Twitter deal the first time he's ever pulled out of anything. No more oh, yeah. than no less than 500 times today on Twitter. So good job to everybody making that, that joke. Doesn't that feel like Twitter 10 years ago? Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is when it was innocent and dumb in a different way. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish there was a filter that would just like know that you saw a joke once. And then yeah, show me the first person timeline. who did it. <laughs> and then. I love I when people been. figure out a word within the tweet where, that they can just mute temporarily. It's like, I'll just, uh-huh. I, I will just mute pull out for the next 24 hours. <laughs> You're going to you miss a lot of good couch content. You can't delete Musk because then all your tweets about stinky men are going to be gone. <laughs> Speaking of stinky men, you guys are not competing tonight. We're just going to jovially talk about the film Night Shift and Ooh. an odd comedy. This is so far we've done a lot of comedies. Uh, just what are your overall thoughts, starting with Mike? What do you think of overalls? I <laughs> love overalls, and I miss them. Do you do both straps up or one that. strap on, one oh, strap off? 
when, when I'm with my parents and grandparents, it's both straps. So you know, the minute I'm out of the house, I'm one strap at it. God, I'm so you had to be sick of your family screaming at you for not having both straps up. Wear both straps. It's better for your back. And I'm like, that's backpacks. This does not affect my back at all. <laughs> Did overall straps have that trend where now every all the cool kids are doing both? Now all the cool kids are one on, one off? Oh, I'm sure. And then everybody went, wait, why does anybody wear these? And they just died. I feel like that's enough mic time. Greg, what did you think of the film Night Shift? This, a lot of times, like, I have heard of the movie or I've seen the the case, the VHS case for my days lurking in, in video stores all the time. This movie was, like, nowhere on my radar. I had <laughs> never heard of it. Um, and I had, Come like, and see level. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, like, I had, like, I was, so I went in totally blind. And um, it, it's it's not awful there's probably three different times where i literally laughed out loud watching on my own so that's that's pretty impressive but it's a lot of it to me was just sort of not offensive not awful but like kind of boring kind of like tonally like oh okay well what what do you think overall this had similar where i had not heard of it at all knew nothing going in i just was like uh, brothel in a morgue that could be a hard-hitting drama who knows uh and i can't tell you the amount of times my wife and i had a rewind because we were laughing too hard and missed the next things that we were saying this movie was fucking could have been personality defining if i saw it younger <laughs> that's i'm so sorry that that didn't happen <laughs> let me say mike uh it worked anyway you have a lot of personality traits from both of these two gentlemen whether you saw the show <laughs> or saw the movie so earlier weird. um I now this doesn't matter because it's not for points. Usually the winner of the show is the person who agrees with me the most. Um, but yeah, I'm closer to Mike. I had seen this movie before. Um, probably in when I was a kid, I would do like I'm gonna see every movie of this filmmakers. And but yeah. I was a kid, so I would pick like Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Could have been uh, I don't know Bergman, but I went with Ron Howard. Um, and but like just remembered the basic premise you know remember the characters but not i laughed way harder than i thought i would at this movie mm-hmm. i i also laughed way harder than i thought i would and that's one thing i like i definitely would not fault it for not being funny i didn't think it was i guess i didn't think it was as consistently mm-hmm. funny i th- i felt like there were long periods where the mo- to, the movie did not attempt actually to be funny and so it's not like they were swinging and missing but maybe I'm too used to the modern comedies where the joke per second rate is very high. Because there were just long periods of this where it was like whimsical, but not mm-hmm. pointedly funny. Like where it didn't seem. Yes. And then there were other long periods where it was treating things um, that were kind of troubling in a way that was almost like whimsical. Like I, I and we'll probably get into them. So, but like is so. I, I, but it did not offend me. I don't hate it. It's not disgusting. <laughs> and I did laugh occasionally. It just, like, Mike, would you say you were laughing, like, from beginning to end? Kind of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, so you're <laughs> a moron, then. Okay. Yeah, I laughed my balls off. Was it just because wife. you felt like the, the vibe kind of kept the movie funny throughout? Yeah, so that after I, a while, even little things were pretty funny? I can fall in love with vibe, for sure. And then there's a certain point where you're, like, so primed that Michael Keaton can lift an eyebrow and just rolling yeah if the first joke of the movie was michael keaton is a chauffeur driving clint howard to his prom um clint howard's in the back seat michael keaton says do you like music and he's like yeah and he's like okay cool yeah if that was the first joke of the movie it's not gonna work but no you're so primed at that point with michael keaton and the fact that i didn't want to fucking murder him 
that's impressive right there. Because I've been around a lot of cokeheads, and he clearly <laughs> is. I think in a way that, like, remember when you were a kid, you you didn't understand necessarily. You just thought Beavis and Butthead were funny, but not necessarily doing drugs constantly right. off screen. That's going on here, too, yeah, as well, th- right? Yeah, he's the cokehead of a primetime drama from the 80s where they can't mention it or say it. He just has all the ticks. I wonder why his name is Billy Blaze and not, like, Sidney Snorts or something like that. <laughs> like, Because he definitely doesn't. He definitely puts off a major cokehead energy. But where's he even <laughs> getting the money for that? But that's why he's broke. It's oh, cokehead. yeah. That's why I he's going to gra- do so many different jobs. Craig, I wish you were uh, in charge of a reboot of the Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> because Billy Blaze and Sidney yes. Snorts are cards that I would like to own. <laughs> All right. We are... so. A movie that worked mostly for us, uh, comedy-wise, but instead of just Chris Farleying out and going over all the funny lines, uh, let's take a break, and then let's actually dive in to this film. (laughs) Well, that is very, very funny, or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. After directing a Roger Corman cheapie called Grand Theft Auto, Ron Howard was ready to make a studio picture. While also getting further away from his acting c- career, portraying such pussy dipshits as Opie Taylor and Richie Cunningham. Enlisting the help of his Happy Days co-star, Henry Winkler, along with a couple of TV actors who were trying to get their careers going, Michael Keaton and Shelley Long. The movie also marked the first collaboration between Howard, his longtime producing partner, Brian Grazer, and screenwriters Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. This foursome would go on to make Splash, Parenthood, and Edtiv. The plot of Night Shift almost sounds like one of Corman's movies. Two losers, a nebbishy dork, and a coke-addled idea man turn the morgue they work at into the headquarters of their new operation, pimping, which they discover is not easy, but is definitely necessary. 1982 is the peak of the comedic sex <laughs> romp, smack dab in the middle of the releases of Risky Business, Revenge of the Nerds, Bachelor Party, The Last American Virgin, Class, Private School, Private Resort, Private Class, The Last American Private Virgin, and of course, <laughs> the legendarily successful Porky's. A lot of those movies are impossible to watch today because of their particular mixture of sex and comedy. Taste Buds, I ask you this. If we're only covering one of those movies as an example, did we make the right choice with Night Shift? Or does it come off just as awkward and gross as a lot of those other movies? No, I was shocked that for 1982... Shocked, right? Shocked. In the era of what came around, that how kind of forward-thinking it was when it comes to sex work, and that the, the sexual comedy... Is never isn't it hilarious how this girl is fucking a guy she doesn't know and would not have consented to this? That's never the joke in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has way more heart than any of those. I think that there's a different charge to level against it, which is like, is this in any way a realistic portrayal of like sex work and, and how it operates and everything? But I think it is not engaging with actual sex work and instead is engaging with movie sex work, and maybe that's its own issue or whatever but it certainly doesn't like go for cheap jokes nor does it make it i don't feel like it often robs the 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 female um characters of their like agency or humanity there's there's one joke i can think of if you were too woke for broke and it's it's in the back third like the back two-thirds of the movie where uh winkler 
gets all the ladies out of jail. Or no, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember. It's uh, he does get them out of jail, but there's uh, they took a cab there, and they're like, give him a tip. Oh, yeah. and she says, move over, and wants to blow him. And they're like, no, with the money. That's like one of the only ones where I'm like, I guess if you are so up your butt liberal, you could be like, well, here's why that's not. But I don't give a shit. See, to <laughs> me, for me a, giggle. For to, to me, for a movie in 1982, especially uh, amongst that list of movies that I just read, some of them, like we would not, we would cancel the show if we like picked Porky's for the bracket. Um, for that to be the thing that you can think of, Mike, I find very, very impressive. Another yes. point I like, or another part I want to point to is Winkler finds out that after having sex with uh, Shelley Long's character, he thinks that they're together now, which means she has to quit her job as, of being a prostitute, being a sex worker. Um, when she doesn't do that, because that is her job, he gets upset and says, well, at least I'm not a whore or calls her a whore. And, Everything about the movie and in that scene shows that he is the piece of shit trying right. to use her job against her. And I think that's so forward thinking. I think that like the movie goes out of its way to show that like, yeah, this is these girls are screwed because of the Ill- Ill- illegality of their career choice yeah. that shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, that's a, it, it also it definitely projects this like sort of utopian vision of what if we could we what if we admitted to ourselves sex work was important not just that it's like okay not just that it's like permissible in a society but that it is important that sex work mm-hmm. is important and that because it's important it needs to be protected and legitimized and healthcare yeah it's sort of like it, it it imagines a future where that's right around the corner in a way that it's like so sad that obviously that's very much not the case um like right around the corner from 1982 but that's what keeps it from being gross is because it what it says is like it's okay for women to do this it's okay for men to utilize these services mm-hmm. we just need to protect everybody involved and legitimize it so that it it's not a dirty secret that's ruining people's lives and i think the movie masterfully walks like 80s conservatism because they put so much of that argument in Keaton's mouth. So Howard and Grazer and and Co can be like, no, the dumb guy was saying it. But his whole speech about like this lonely, isolated guy just needs to talk to somebody. He cannot, but he can pay a woman so he doesn't go out and murder and harass fucking Girl Scouts. Yeah, he said Girl Scouts come a lot in this movie. If if he if we don't have prostitution, then this person is going to rape a Girl Scout, <laughs> which, which is that's that's a straw man a little bit. It, but it went extreme. But like <laughs> a little foreshadowing you, for cringiest moment. There. When you think about what, uh, what what the argument is is like yeah like there are let's embrace and accept that there are isolated people out there who need human contact, and maybe they won't fucking kill themselves if they pay for it, and that there's people uh, who will like will will offer that service. And there's people who want that service, right. and that that like the only thing that keeps that from being a completely okay thing is that by pushing it into the shadows, we've let disgusting people take take it over, and we've left people unprotected. But yeah, like it's it 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 is a need, and right. it is it, it is a marketplace, and it always will be, and it always has been. Maybe we could just do it in a way that is ethical. Maybe next to corpses. <laughs> Actually, what? that's one part that I forgot is I thought that they turned the morgue into a brothel. No, right. yeah. But like it's just outside their of office. W- outside of one frat party that has two people fucking inside of one of the big body shelves, uh, that is just their headquarters. It, one it of the like, 
one of the central Great. tenets of the movie is that a 1980s New York morgue is often not a very busy place. Mm. I have to say, I do <laughs> need to inspect that one like supposition because you never see you hear of bodies coming into the morgue but 1980s new york that was a dangerous place people were catching <laughs> bodies out there and this movie makes it seem like that like yeah, i would never go sure. so far as to say that new york is the samantha of the sex in the city romp but uh the, new york is a bad place particularly for somebody like henry winkler's character who is absolutely pushed around by the city including one of my favorite moments where he's just trying to get through a doorway at the same time as another yes. guy. The other guy crosses first and shoves him up against the wall and then leaves. <laughs> this now movie does New York, not, baby. This movie does not disguise the fact that Henry Winkler is a tiny gentleman. <laughs> it's it's so weird that his first role was the Fonz. Yes. He, was he on every Apple box on the studio in that show? Like I think for he just him grew to be the sideburns cool like really well. Like that that had to be it. I don't know. Like them did him out. This, this feels like this should have been his entire career i don't want to step on it too much i know we'll get to that later sex let's let's (laughs) let's sort of combine these two things and go to sex and death is is more just a place where they thought it would be funny is that as far as this goes or is the movie trying to make some sort of connection between sex and death look i love this movie right i i've said it i'll say it again i don't know how upper level intelligence it's trying to actually make any connection between sex and death i think given what our job is we can make a connection between sex and death and say if you're surrounded by death it is very easy especially if you have a cokehead jiminy cricket next to you to be like we will all die why would i embrace every bit of life and passion that i can right now i just want to point out that i fucking seen pinocchio and to say cokehead jiminy cricket that is redundant Okay. I mean, <laughs> you did just kind of say what it was, though, right, Mike? Like, I mean, uh, Michael Keaton's message ultimately is, you know, momentum mori. Like, we tomorrow is yes. not guaranteed, and so why do you work so hard at your job that doesn't love you back when you could work a side hustle to get extra money for even more blow? Why not embrace <laughs> the things that you like? Right? Why keep eating the shit sandwich every single day when you could just make your life better and pretty soon? your life will be an absolute zero anyway because we're all going to the you know the same place in the end. You know what it is? It's uh it's each character is the uh they're the different definitions of YOLO. You only live once, so let's get crazy. You yeah. only live once, so why would we get crazy? I've be heard careful. both of those songs. <laughs> uh okay, so and then one last thing. Um we talked about the the I don't know, the agency of the girls, right? Mm-hmm. Shelley Long is plays the the sex worker that we get to know the most, but as a group, um, did this ring true? Like, and Greg sort of hit this earlier. Does this movie have any inkling as to how the sex industry actually works, and does it or does it care? Is that just sort of like a way to get us to the friendship and laughs? If you yes. want to see a movie about the sex industry, watch Tangerine. Like that that movie, I think, is about what it's like to be a sex worker in the real world. But very much this movie is engaging, I, th- I think, with just like 
almost allegorical or like <laughs> imagistic levels of what it actually means to be a sex worker. And so then I think all of the I other... mean, you could say, Greg, like the research that they did was watch other movies with prostitutes. For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> it definitely feels like, even though it's before, it watched Pretty Woman and Milk Money. And we get I mean, it. he mentions, <laughs> he met in the bathtub, he mentions, who is it? Joan Crawford? No, Jane Fonda in a movie about. Include. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, like, uh, he mentions. The, the the image of the prostitute, not the actual prostitute, but the movie. I image. know what sex work is like. Yeah, I've seen the movie Clute. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> like you know, and even his concerns about it are very much the concerns of like a movie man and not the real world. I mean, your number one concern, I think, if you are uh, visiting a sex worker, is like, am I going to get jumped? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to get arrested? Not like, is she only pretending to like to, ha- bro? Right. You paid money for this. Yes, she's only pretending to... Like, it's, she's at work right now. What do you think, man? Don't get hung up on it. Other, like... <laughs> Just enjoy it. The stripper loves you. Go with it. <laughs> and the three of us are only telling our audience that because of the ages we are now. If we were recording this 10 or even 15 years ago, we would have different messages about that whole thing. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this cast. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Hi right, guys, let's take a break from analysis of sex and death and blah blah blah. The cast of this movie, particularly the big three, is so important, so I want to dedicate an entire segment to them. We'll get to their overall chemistry in a second, but let's start with Henry Winkler. Is it horseshit that Henry Winkler wasn't a big- bigger star? Yes, we we know that now with Gene Cousineau, Cousineau and yeah. Barry, and then uh, what's his fucking name in Arrested Development? He's yes. his he's so good at, as an older actor. Like oh man, and because like I watched Happy Days as a kid because I didn't have cable, and I don't remember him being stunning, but probably because the material. But him watching this movie now, it's like why wasn't he just an everyman? comedian and comedies for yeah. fucking years Barry why would you watch this guy act and then be like you know what he should do he should be the really confident greaser guy like <laughs> no way man this is what he was born to do and this is what he does successfully every time after this movie which is yes. just yeah like the kind of small beaten down but like very funny he has so many very funny throwaway lines like when uh michael keaton is like hey do you want a chocolate and he's like no thank you and he's like it was in the fridge and he just says i understand that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, do you want a chocolate? No, thank you. It just came out of the fridge. I, I understand that. <laughs> like he, Also, what a good mentor to teach you how to deal with this kind of person, to deal with your cokehead 
co-worker that you what the want. fuck are you talking about right now you piece <laughs> of shit <laughs> yes i understand that why don't i stab you in the side how's that sound <laughs> sure um there is a i don't know how apocryphal it is but there is definitely at least an urban legend of why he did not become a uh above the title star too tiny the- it's this movie that this was supposed to be it and i don't want to get to him yet but he had the show stolen from him so fucking hard oh that it was like, well, all right, well, Winkler still will leave him in the 70s and on TV because we're going to turn all of our attention to not just one other person, but I think two other people. I think now watching this, it's a bit of a bum rap. I think that you guys are both bringing up incredible uh, examples of how even though he doesn't get any of the scripted funny lines, you know, like that example, Greg, that you just said of like, I understand uh, that on paper does not play. You know, no. he yeah. is. He's doing it. And in a lot of ways, I think that uh, he was so steamrolled by New York, the character. Chuck, Chuck Lumley, Chuck. Chuck was so steamrolled by New York that almost like a Charles Dickens novel, New York came to life in <laughs> Michael Keaton and then had to, like, was around him all the time of just in Ryan. your face rudeness. Uh, <laughs> literally, the city was a character. <laughs> yeah, literally, the city. That Hashtag. jacket. That Blaze wears. Oh, I the, want it so much. That's just New York graffiti that he's wearing. Uh, and um, I, this gives him all the stuff where, like, it's such a thankless role. And I think he soars past it. Yes. His his interacting with the dog that Lancelot's its Monty Python style through his hallway as it's chasing him. And that's when I was like, oh, this movie's a cartoon. Because at first I was yeah. like, what the fuck is this garbage? I was like, no, I think I have to get on board because this is this movie. Uh yeah, it's 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 every line delivery, and it it is that the heart and soul because Michael Keaton is a cartoon character, and and but he's needed like the the the, the chemistry between all three of them is ma- what makes everything pop. I think if you right. lose any of the trio, it falters. All right, so let's get to the next one. Let's get to Shelley Long. Um, before we get into her performance, uh, do you guys wish that we had done the Rushmore for Hot Girls? Yes. One week or two weeks later. Yes, if, it would have been differently. If I had seen her in uh, her underwear and socks before we did the the Rushmore, it might have been different. <laughs> do you know how you can tell that... And we're going to get to her actual performance in one second. But do you know how you can tell um, that Henry Winkler already had money and Michael Keaton and Shelley Long were up-and-comers? Because she, when she sees that he has a kitchen, she's like, Whoa, a kitchen! <laughs> Not the characters, Greg. Talking about the actors in real life. <laughs> I know how cool it is when people have kitchens, but it's their teeth. It's pretty dope. Oh. Uh, Shelly Long and Michael Keaton have, you know, different colored teeth, and some of them are bigger or smaller than other ones. They look like normal people. And then, you know, fast forward three years later, and for at least Long and Keaton, because they became stars, their teeth are all just, boop, perfectly white, perfectly the same size all the way around. And his get worse. They stole his teeth to make their own. <laughs> As the our uh, sex worker with the heart of gold, how does she work as a uh, you know as the other half of what ultimately becomes a rom com? I think I mean the, the tropes are alive with the Santa music in her right, <laughs> like like the, the the movie itself isn't really doing her any favors, but I think she injects so much humanity into it, and you can see why Winkler Chuck falls in love with her. I, I mean, especially because that's with that to me is so important. Like that's the key. And she's so charming and funny, but real, like, and it's movie real for prostitution, right? But she's like, she doesn't hide the darker or seedier stuff, but she has like an optimistic attitude and tries to push her head down and through it. But she opens up and is vulnerable to him in a way that his fiance is not. Is that Dave's mom from the 
Hulu show Dave. It is his huh? fiance. Yes, it yep. Is. Uh, and I mean, she's such like a gross shrew and is mean to him that it's very easy to be like, yeah, I'm gonna fall in love with my sex worker neighbor who like is like life sucks sometimes, but that's okay. She's so much more comfortable and herself than you ever see her in Cheers. She's funny in Cheers, and I, I, I like her performance, but I feel like in the same way that uh, Henry Winkler, like, it, the Fonz is a good character, but it's not a good character for him. I feel like Diane is not a g- great character for her. I feel like um, the this character is what's good for her. She just seems so natural and so alive in the, the, the scenes that even if she wasn't doing anything that, like, blew you away, that in and of itself, just that presence and that life like gave so much extra to this movie you could really like you felt um that pull towards her and like you said ryan you could buy the you could that helped you buy the romantic angle there's a real like thing going on here where she knows who she is and in a good way but she also knows how people look at her Mm -hmm. and back then but even now when you like let's say that you're a sex worker that's the start and end of what people think of you you know yeah. like they don't think about that you have a personality or that you're an actual human they think like oh whore and then they move on and you see that in the first scene with her where she's like don't i know you and right away he's so afraid that she's yeah. saying haven't you visited me in my professional capacity he doesn't even think right. it could mean don't i live down the fucking hall yeah, from I, you you are my next yeah. door neighbor <laughs> but she's such like a uh, i'd like I don't want to sound hacky, but such a ray of sunshine. And it's because she keeps putting herself out there, knowing that there's all of these people out there that will chip her down specifically because of that. And Mm. she hears comments and it keeps cutting back to her and watching her reaction. And some comments will like, she'll like flinch an eye and then put the smile back on and move on. And then sometimes the comments just break her to her core, but she keeps putting herself out there as a character. And I I don't know. I thought it was very impressive. I think that's why you can see why the, the the rest of the girls, she's not fully in control. There's it's definitely democratic, but if she if Belinda's like, here's what we're doing, they're like, I guess we'll listen to Belinda. If she starts uh, a chant, they'll pick it up. Yes, that's Blaine's true of all of humanity. Falls in love yeah. with her as a friend, like that kind of friendship. Like you guys should be together. Like you can see why she is the heart of the movie, and everybody who spends more time with her ends up just being like, yeah, she's the best because she fucking is. If she. Is it a little naive, though, to just be like, oh, it's hot in here. That's why I have to take off my pants. Yeah. Well, the, like... the movie is very aware of itself as a movie. Like, even, like, we we br- briefly men- mentioned it, but, like, the dog that, like, runs uh-huh. free in the hall. Like, the movie goes <laughs> out of its way to be like, okay, you are in a fictive space. Like, this is not a right. real space. This is a movie space. And so she's going to do a movie thing, which is, oh, the window doesn't open. And so... It's, I think it gives itself this extra layer of like, it's kind of satire. So maybe it's not just as dumb. Well, it's well, that's, yeah, how, we, that's does, how we choose to see it because we liked it a little bit. Yes. The movie does every <laughs> 80s trope. So that could be one. But I mean, Keaton joins that frat we talked about. So it really is doing, <laughs> it's playing all the hits. So I think it could it'd be easy to see that it's like, yeah, see, but we're commenting on it or we're using it winkingly. The, the, the dog thing is like, uh, your script is done. But now you have a deck of cards, and on each one uh-huh. is uh, things that happen in every movie. And then you shuffle them, and you take the first three, and you just throw them right into your script. You know what? <laughs> I don't even think about it. Just get it in there. You know what I felt like it was, Ryan? I felt like uh, 
they were making the movie and then somebody just went and saw After Hours and they're like, we need something unexplainable and weird to be in this movie. There needs to be something that feels quasi-supernatural. There was a guy at the end, the last dog time, who was just standing outside of his uh, apartment and I thought, oh, this is the owner of the dog. They're going to explain this. But the dog came from around a different corner <laughs> and the guy just watched him go I back. think he comes out to watch to see the dog pick on Henry <laughs> Winkler. I think that's like what he does. Oh, dog's back. I'm going to go see. Wouldn't you? There's nothing on TV. I'm going to go outside and watch New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to it. I think that this show, and I have no examples, so don't ask me, but I think that this <laughs> podcast has a real problem with, uh, in the past, this movie launched a superstar. Because we go back and we watch it like for the first or first time or the first time in a long time, and we're like, "Why? What the fuck? Who gives a shit?" This movie launched Michael Keaton. He d- was directly given the Mister Mom job from this. And if you <laughs> look at his IMDb, it is a solid twenty years to the point where he is the most famous superhero of all time. He is on a roller coaster after this movie. It's do you know? Does it's this make his, sense to you? One of his first lines: "They are meeting." And he's like, you know, doing his not along, bobbing. He's talking, not really listening. He's just like, oh, that's going to be radical, Chuck. That guy's dead. And right there in that, like, no breath in between those two things. And it's just like, yep, this guy's a star. You know what I felt? I felt like for for a lot of it, it's like he has the some of the funniest moments. But I kept coming back to this idea of, like, his batting average. What is his batting average? Versus Henry Winkler's batting average, which is, like, doing taking very little space to be very funny whereas michael keaton is like this was a this was a a character type in the 80s probably because cocaine was so popular but it reminds me of early robin williams stand-up where he like Uh doesn't stop talking for like half of a second and sometimes it was just uh greg robin williams is dead so tread carefully here yeah some well i will i will restrict my comments to the very much alive michael keaton i just felt like sometimes things wouldn't land for a while and i know the character is supposed to be annoying but sometimes he just was annoying in the absence of being humorous at the same time see i totally hear you but for me with keaton and this surprised me because at my advanced age much more advanced than when i saw this for the first time uh everything is fucking annoying like even things i like (laughs) i'm like fuck you you're annoying (laughs) so i once michael keaton comes in i'm a little I'm I'm nervous, right? Yeah. Like he he's got that character trope of um dancing to music that isn't there. Yeah. You know, that's yes. that's why he sings the Rolling Stones all the time. He doesn't need music. His body's just vibing and jiving all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh fuck. I'm gonna want this guy out of here so soon. Um and I get the batting average thing, but although his batting average of lines that made me laugh to didn't is low. None of the lines drove me crazy. None of the lines mm-hmm. I was like, get the fuck out of my movie right now. And that's what I really appreciated is that they were either funny or they were interesting in some way and not just like a totally deflated joke that went yeah. nowhere. And by the time he opens up on Christmas and is like talking about his shitty dad, it informs everything that comes after and what came before. And you're like, oh. You talk nonstop so you don't have to sit with these kind of thoughts. Like, it all feels real and grounded and was pretty surprising. Like, I know he can do that now as an actor, but I did not know he could do that or that this movie would ask that of this character. Also, we have, we spent the, you know, uh, first part of the 2010s being overwhelmed by um, unaware, unself-aware idiots in comedy. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, we had to be overwhelmed by unaware, unself-aware idiots in 
real life. <laughs> and it, it, it became less funny as we went along. But this takes it to a whole new level where uh, Chuck goes over to Blaze's house, to Michael Keaton's house. And Michael Keaton's like, how did you get in? Oh, the security system. I, I should leave a complaint. Like, where are the security guards? Bitch. That's not like just a lie to sort of make yourself look richer or better. There's no way that no <laughs> yeah. one could ever think that where you live has security guards. What are you doing right now? Is that not a joke he was saying as the character? I don't. That's such a good no, question. Dude. It's impossible I don't think to so. No. I think he's he's not trying to make the two of them laugh. Like, oh yeah, this wouldn't it be great if this place had security guards? He's that delusional or something. He's a compulsive. He's a compulsive fabulist. Like he, he, yeah. he, he <laughs> nonstop. He's creating nonstop either his ideas or his theories or fabrications about his life. They're, I don't think it quite raises up to lies, but it's like, it's untruths that he actively tells mm-hmm. about his lie to, to sort of make himself seem more important. That's one thing that's annoying about him. Ryan, you mentioned the, the Christmas thing. Part of what's so endearing about his character ultimately near the end of the movie is his relationship, Billy Blaze's relationship with Belinda. Because, yeah. yes. like, uh, it's one thing for the, the romantic relationship, yeah, whatever, but, like, you see a real friendship form, and the way they right. talk to each other is so beautiful. The like where he says about Chuck, well, you know, Chuck's not like you and me, and like uh-huh. he says that in such like a like a, a warm way. And so th- I love how there's like that second side to him, and you see it, you really do see it come through. The rest is just I think what you said, Mike, like escaping the escaping the thoughts, escaping the memories of a terrible right. yeah. But in that you can see why Chuck also falls in love with blaze is he does see everybody alone or, or everybody on their own merit it doesn't he doesn't care about city's hierarchy or whatever like he's he's a manic pixie dream dude in in all the good <laughs> ways without the bad because he he also learns from chuck it's not just chuck needs to learn to go more free like yeah. he starts learning and emails out he's like oh ideas are good but here's the certain kind of ideas you should put energy into uh and and the, here's the kinds of people. Yeah, I think that the, that that beautiful thing is I could see uh, Chuck learning from his like, yeah, everybody is a human and uh, treat them as such. We'll get to this in the next segment if maybe we had one too many act threes or denouements <laughs> or maybe one way too long act one. We're going to talk about all that soon. But the way that Chuck backs Keaton up and is like, or Blaze up and says like, no, this is actually a really good guy who deserves respect is like... That's one or two scenes after uh, they're in the lawyer's office, and yes. Henry Winkler is going to fucking mur- like not <laughs> they are scrapping murder, murder yeah. him. That's okay. So we have to get out of here. So one more thing, <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, the group together. And '80s movies has this, have the, like this sort of tradition of like always feeling at the end. I'm going to say this started with Star Wars, of feeling like the last two minutes of an SNL episode of everybody's just like. <laughs> celebrating and hugging and <laughs> yeah we get that ending here so does this work for you guys are you so cold-hearted and jaded that you're like come on 80s movie or to see the three of them together because all three of them are in love with all three of them right does this final thing where they get out of this nudie nightclub I don't <laughs> know, a nudie gentleman's club that they all escape does that work for you or were you guys rolling your eyes it worked for me because of the exact reason you said, Ryan, which is that, like, it's it's almost hacky to say, like, the three of them 
develop this really great relationship but that is what you get here and so rather than just like the we're partying at the end of the movie because it's the 80s like the caddyshack like you know suddenly we all have solo cups and there's music playing in the background that's like (laughs) that's annoying because it's unearned but like their relationship is something to be celebrated in this and it's like one of the more advanced parts of the movie and so it, it feels earned to me in some yeah it they all their conflicts are tied up in the jungle club and then as they're running away laughing and being delighted they're still almost getting hit by cars and then it's just like <laughs> new york's gonna keep on new yorking like uh in the jungle club this uh gentleman's nudie place um mike you would call this movie a live action cartoon uh which seems like a hacky sort of thing to say until at the end michael keaton literally falls from two stories and lands <laughs> two-dimensionally flat on the ground <laughs> Uh, so good for them. But the other thing that I loved about this ending, too, is that the three of them are running and they they want to celebrate, but they can't. But then they look back and, and they all say, like, oh, they're not chasing us. No one's us. chasing us. <laughs> we can end the movie now. Nobody's chasing <laughs> us. They have let us left. Honestly, though, that's also pretty like a pretty interesting end to the to like a, as an idea right like we don't have to run nobody's chasing us we can just right. stop and celebrate we can just be here with each other there is nothing that is pursuing us right now like we felt that it there was but we were wrong because really all we have is like each other right now and then cut to five years later and michael keaton is still on they're married you know henry winkler and shelly long are married michael keaton is still on their couch they're screaming at yeah. each other about why won't he leave the house <laughs> I'd watch that sitcom. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, let's talk about this director. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com, and it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie. Everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Gentlemen, taste buds, if you will, uh, this is our second comedy of the season. Third, if you count Das Boot. We talked a lot about the pacing of Fast Times. It was a major conversation point in that show. How did this movie work for you? Was it the greatest storytelling you've ever seen or the worst storytelling you've ever seen? Pick one of those. I felt like pacing I, was a major issue with this. I, I felt like the it took a little bit to get started, and then once it did, it was entertaining for like 25 minutes, and then it got boring for like 15 minutes, and then entertaining for another 10. I felt like it, it really had like ebbs and flows of energy. See, I don't know like what? if... Maybe this is just because I thought it was funnier than you did, Greg, but... It worked for me, and it reminded me of all of the comedies that we grew up with, the the bad boys of SNL making movies, yeah. where mm-hmm. it would be not, like more than half, like almost an hour of just hanging out with Spade or Farley or Sandler, and then 30 minutes of like boring plot, and then the yes, movie was yeah. over. And so yeah. I, I, I kind of like that. 
And the thing I loved was the montage of them getting successful. The movie's like, you've seen movies. You know what they're going to do. Can we just knock this out as fast as possible? But that's not lazy writing. That, to me, was... Okay, that's lazy writing. But to me, it was also, (laughs) I understand what are the best tools in my toolbox. That is my cast. I'm going to let them hang out and develop and bond. And I thought it worked. I also felt like... It was economical. The movie, to me, the screech to a halt anytime um, you had Chuck and his uh, fiance Charlotte, because yeah, like she, I know that in the movie she is supposed to be just another thing that is like weighing him way. down, but it's so hard not to see her as a person and then be like, what happened to this lady? Like, something she's so damaged. Something is really wrong here. That's. And so that sucks the, the energy out of it. Is her in, in in a movie that takes sex work more seriously than you expect and takes losers more seriously than you expect to to be like <laughs> she thinks she's fat and she has definite mental issues. Isn't that hilarious? You're like, wait, what? And then by then she ramps up. I feel like they make her so crummy and shrewish. So crummy. when he cheats on his fiance. You're like, good for him. Yeah. That, but that undersells her as a person. That is part of it. But I do want to talk about the difference between one note or flat, like intentionally flat characters and intentionally mm-hmm. round characters. And I do think, I don't I don't know if we should talk about movies in these terms, but it's just hard not to. The addition of Shelley Long and how three-dimensional she is, the character, how well it's written, and the performance, does it allow you to just treat a different female character as more of an obstacle like the city of New York is to Chuck than an actual person. I think there's just a huge difference between like, if it's not Richard Belzer, the Richard Belzer lookalike, the two oh, other people. Oh, Richard Belzer. Belzer. Dude. It's okay. Belzer. And for we sure. have not talked about this. <laughs> Those guys are cartoons. Like they, they are so one note and it's fine versus the one note, the show, the movie tries to ring with Charlotte rings so false compared to the rest of the movie like i was not offended on behalf of pimps and gangsters <laughs> for those two guys but i she the note they're playing with her is just every hack sitcom wife yeah she has all uh, of the issues she's frigid but turned up to a thousand depression once she's got crazy like she's got body issues she's got food issues mm-hmm. and the whole like check the apartment thing i have to say in 1982 in new york not a bad idea to give that apartment yeah, a little son of second. sam's running yeah around. dude i mean like and the cops were so bad about keeping anybody out of your house or doing anything if somebody broke in dude just give a little check henry winks go in I there mean- fawns the door make sure it's shut like come on man <laughs> And also, Fonzie, you can shut one door facing the door. You don't have to turn around every time and shut it with your back leg. <laughs> like, uh, hey. I, I, just, I imagine every check-in is like, all right, 12 rats, two muggers, not a big deal. Let's have sex. Yeah. <laughs> can you guys handle each other? We're going to go back. Uh, the, only, the, the one time she worked the best for me is I, I actually did really enjoy, and it, was the, it, it lent itself to the live-action cartoon vibe of, uh, I have to go help my neighbor who is a prostitute at court. I guess I'll bring my mom, my fiance, and my fiance's fucking country mouse, very religious <laughs> parents with me. Uh, and that the, the whole court scene made me giggle a lot. Especially the the his mom was baffling because she was laughing the whole time in court. This is but the then character. Was just like you have to rein in Chuck. Yeah. you know how he gets. This is the character that maybe Lowell Gans worked on one part of the mother character, and then Babalu Mandel. And you guys should not leave this episode before getting to say the screenwriter's names. Babalu Mandel. <laughs> that, those are the two ways I laugh, is I either Lowell or I Babalu. 
Um, yeah, she like she seems to just be so intrigued by like drama and things. Like she's cackling in the yes. court, and then at one point just grabs somebody and screams, "You do not let this this person, my son, run around <laughs> like that." What is your character, bro? That's not three dimensional. Um, looking at Ron Howard's directorial career, is this a weird early blip or the direction he should have followed or? Was he sort of always following this? I sort of see this as a 90-minute or two-hour-long TV episode in kind of the best way, where looking back on his career, especially my favorite movies of his, like Parenthood, aren't propelled by serious drama. The drama is second or third or fourth on the priority list. He just wants to, like, uh, you know, three-shot a living yeah. room and watch characters react and have performers perform with each other and off of each other and be mm-hmm. in a shared emotional space like having you know three folks in a shot like that brings so much life and connectedness to them whereas you in a lot of comedies you get people riffing in these one shots and you can feel them not being present with each other his his sitcom history serves him so well in in his early movies it feels in this one in in parenthood in splash even it's this should have been what he kept doing it's the the fucking backdraft i love willow but the willow backdraft (laughs) apollo 13 no like argument mike willow is obviously (laughs) bullshit but apollo 13 is three people in a room for the vast majority of it just hanging out it's a bottle okay yeah, it's a bottle episode, and I do so think... So it's the Grinch, Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man. There you go. <laughs> Funky. <laughs> His late 90s, early 2000s album. But like, I feel like you can tell... I don't know if we could do a tour theory on Ron Howard, right? I don't know if like he's the kind of guy where like you can watch a shot from a movie you've never seen and be like, oh, that's Ron Howard. But I think Apollo 13 is his perfect movie because he handles both the dramatic aspects of what is going on and the three shot in a room... It, it all comes together. Is perfectly. that movie funnier than everybody remembers it to be? Uh, I think so. Apollo thirteen, yeah, dude. There's like some real yeah. corkers in that. So uh, it's it's look after at that Greg he talking w- about like he understands that movie. <laughs> he did not see the his, first twelve, by the way. <laughs> his Oscar chasing movies is when it's like, come on, man, just go make fucking sex death comedies. I mean, this is the person who at this point is now responsible for killing the Star Wars franchise and making JD Vance a household name. So, <laughs> recent times have not been good for Ron Howard, but um, I do think you know. I made a joke earlier about how this would be the only Ron Howard movie that ever gets on a movie of the year. I think Apollo thirteen is an important part of nineteen ninety five. If we do that show, I think that it is yeah. probably his most perfect movie, and I think a lot of it is here of just these three people who love each other going through it. I feel like a big part of 1995 also was graduating from middle school. I think we all had that shared experience, 95, yeah. graduating. Eighth grade's over. High school, what's it going to be, guys? How's it going to be different? What's, co- what's next? I yeah. was born in 95, Greg. Fucking <laughs> old piece of shit. <laughs> Even that That's still disgusting. makes me... I like 27? to... I- I like to put little no, breadcrumbs yeah. of my personal information throughout the episodes of the show. That way, if someone wants to steal my ID, they have to at yeah. least listen to like 40 hey. hours of our programming. Hey, a listener is a listener. <laughs> we, we, we were all graduated middle school in 1995, lived in <laughs> Metal Arc Lane with her mo- mother's maiden name of Harold's. <laughs> <laughs> the 
that that's like a middle ground Eminem song that Mike was just starting. Like, not the best, <laughs> but not the worst. I was gonna uh, make a joke about the last four digits of a social security number, and I was so sure I was gonna say my own <laughs> that like I just couldn't say, say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Five, six, seven, nine. God damn it! Crap, Greg. <laughs> remember to take this out of the show. Oh crap! All right, you know what that sound means. Mike, go ahead and play the awards theme song. Please play the awards song. Oh, cool. <laughs> Sounds like Minions. And that's, the awards go to... Now, Greg, you did the research and looked up how many awards Night Shift won. Yes. I, I actually can tell you. I did. Uh, Henry Winkler was nominated for a Golden Globe. You know what? He deserved it. He, he deserved that nomination. Deserved that nom. Uh, we're going to start with recommendation. We just watched a 1982 Ron Howard-directed sex comedy. Mike, what do you recommend? I think if you enjoyed this, I'm going to go in a different direction. If you're like, I want more about death, but I want it to be funny, I'd say check out the book Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, which is uh, the mortician, nay, nay? Is that the right way to say that? The mortician come author, uh, Caitlin Doty, uh, she's written a lot about death, but Smoke Gets in Your Eyes is like half memoir. It's about how she just got into it, and uh, the smoke is dead people. It's a super funny, very dark book about how she became a mortician. Greg, when Mike said, uh, I'm going to recommend a comedic book about death, did you think that Mike was going to bring up his master's thesis <laughs> that everyone should read? <laughs> oh, so we, we are talking about real stuff on this show. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say the title. No one can find that. Uh, that sounds great, Mike. Thank you for recommending that. Greg, what do you got? Um, this movie has a good amount of Michael Keaton, but and it, it, you're hard, you'd be hard pressed to find a movie that had more Michael Keaton, right? You're not going to get two <laughs> Michael Keatons, three Michael Keatons, four Michael Keatons. <laughs> Shut up, idiot! You sound like so stupid right now because you can get that if you watch the movie Multiplicity, directed by Harold Ramis. You got four different Keatons, um, two normal ones. Well, kind of a normal one, one who's like cool, one who's effeminate in a way that maybe wouldn't fly nowadays, and one, one who's who... a snowman who came to life. It <laughs> <laughs> gives the police officers all the clues. And one who didn't cook for long enough, again, in a way that maybe wouldn't fly today. But it's, it's Keaton on every base, and it's an absolute Grand Slam home run. You know, a couple weeks ago... We uh, we nominated Glenda, the female gremlin, for the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, just because of how much we talk about her more than anybody else ever talks about her. Multiplicity is also on that list. Yeah. We bring up multiplicity <laughs> a really good Wouldn't you amount. say, like, the average person, if you said multiplicity, they'd have no idea what you were yeah. talking about. Oh, they bring it up no. roughly an average of zero times per year or decade. Yeah, they've never thought of it. They've never seen it. If they found the VHS, they'd be like, is this a real movie? But we'll, like we'll op- like Michael say something dumb and we'll be like, oh, what are you the copy of the copy of Mike and the Clone Machine? Because that fucking hilarious Michael Keaton third copy. Every time I eat pizza, I quote four and say, I like pizza. I like it. <laughs> so I'm still going to the multiplicity well every time I eat pizza. All right, gentlemen, I have a different recommendation. I am the host of the show. I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to do this now. Um, he. Is the font, of course. That's a little of before our time, and we mostly know that from Lunch Pails. Uh, but he's also the star of Night Shift, and I would say, uh, according to Greg's batting average theory, hit a huge batting, way more than you would expect. 
Ichiro style. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, incredibly important part of Arrested Development. Yep. And Barry. Yep. And yep. Parks and Recreation. Parks and Rec, yeah, dude. Can't forget that. And oh, yeah. we have never heard a bad story about this person. Uh, there's some there's some fear around the Pop Filter Hall of Fame of not putting in future fucking awful people. Yes. Uh, or when it like we put them in and then the next week it com- it turns out that they are like they were on uh, to catch a predator. My recommendation is that Henry Winkler moves into the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Here, here. I love it. Here, here. I love when we break rules for good. It has to be a unanimous vote. I am voting yes. Mike? Yes. Greg? Uh, his Twitter every day is just pictures of fish that he caught with the biggest, warmest smile so on his face. He's so happy. Uh, I am a definite vote. Yes, we have a little extra space. Congratulations to Henry Winkler. Wow. Hey. The Pop Filter Hall of Famer. All right, let's get to the rest of the awards. First award is Best Michael Keaton Idea. There are over 2,000. I do not know how you guys are going to pick. Mike, what is the best Blaze idea? For the one I thought of is one that eventually would exist and was not a terrible idea. He just said it in like so much mouth vomit and instantly went to a worse idea. But it is tuna and mayo just in the package together. Well, I thought and it was feed tuna that, fish mayonnaise. Well, that's, a ve- that's, that's where he eventually said, that's goes. The joke. Yeah. <laughs> but his first idea, and sometimes first idea is best idea, Michael <laughs> Keaton. Uh, and that one, uh, I've eaten that. And I was like, yeah, that, that's not terrible. That That is the only one of his ideas where I was like, this would make a profit. And we do have to explain before we get through these awards that he did invent the, I think it was like the fluff and dry twice, but it had already been invented. It had already been invented, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, what do you got? Um, I love how after that he's like, I I gotta make a note about this, and so he uh, holds up his recorder and he just goes, "Call Sunkist." That's the only note. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a big green guy. Earth, that's my jam. Uh, so I'm gonna say the uh paper that you can just eat when you're done with it, <laughs> yeah. so that way you don't have to worry about recycling it. That's an amazing idea. Like if if he just needs to get, he's the idea guy. So he just needs to get somebody to invent right. that. But as an idea, perfect. I no notes. That's why. That's how all three of us are screenwriters. Like, yeah, we oh, come yeah. up with ideas for movies. Somebody else should type that shit up. Yeah, we should get the story by. And yeah, I guess you get to put written by. the The cool thing about a really good idea is if you don't want to do it, you only have to wait a little bit before you see somebody else do it. Yep. So, oh, just and then you at, the, at your next cocktail party, you go. You know, I thought of that. I thought of the Truman Show. Oh yeah, you did. What do you? Yeah, I thought of. What if someone's life was like a show? Oh, wow. Well, congratulations. And then uh, they made Ed TV. <laughs> tuna and mayo is a wonderful idea, but I'm going to give that to Greg for edible paper yeah. because yeah. he says, <laughs> he explains edible paper, and then Chuck is like, and then what? And Blaze is like, and then it's gone. And it's that's gone. it. That's like, uh, then what else do you need to know, but bro? Think about all that, like the extra cheese and burger grease you could eat if it was edible paper. That is a good one. I was thinking too realistically, and I'm I'm sorry. All right, we talked about this before. We'll start with Greg. Cringiest moment. Yeah, um, for me, it was... uh, I love the sex work positive message of this movie. Very much my jam. Um, I'm so much in favor of that. I don't like as a rationale that, like, a guy who's on a business trip might assault a child if sex work is not available. Like, 
I didn't love the way he put that. I don't think that, <laughs> that that's why we need to have access to, uh, you know, safe and regulated access to, to sex work. Um, and it just, it was like, they went for so many jokes, you know, like trying to steal her cookies, break her cookies. And it's like, okay, this is a joke about a really icky topic kind of nestled yeah. into another icky topic nestled into yeah. this movie that has a lot of positive messages. And it just, the dissonance uh, took me out of it. I'm always wrong about when I assume what is scripted and what is improvised. Always wrong. But I could f- I feel like this has the feeling of it was improvised and they love the 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 juve, the vouge, the uh, I don't know, the feeling the it so much. Yeah. They were, yeah, like we got to keep it even though yeah, don't keep that. I felt the same thing about the improv. I thought the prostitution like him giving the little lecture on prostitution that felt yes, very. Which I thought was delightful. Yeah. Improv to me. <laughs> Pros, we don't know what that means. Tit. <laughs> that should even that. be in there. <laughs> two. That's uh, two. I, I'm going to say I don't think it's written because towards the end, unless he improv it, and they're like, well, now we need Girl Scouts beating the shit out of Henry Winkler because they think he's one of these guys that Michael Keaton. It's, 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 it's Chekhov's Girl Scout rapist. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who run into an elevator and beat up Chuck with. It looks like cartons of cigarettes. Those are bluebells, and, and they're they're attacking him with their cookies. Though yeah. I'm pretty sure this is New York, Greg, and Girl Scouts sell cartons of cigarettes door to door. Wait, is that your cringe moment? No, uh, my cringe moment is uh, how long we be up there till the wedding. That's nine months. Perfect delivery of that's nine months. But that that is where we're like, oh, at no point is does he go, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous. I don't no. care how you look, or you're not fat. Romance. He, he doesn't try something, you bitch. She's the whole the whole that scene. She's just like, I'm such a fat piece of shit, and like it's just like, oh, this is what she's gonna be this whole movie. Great. All great, 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 all he great, does great, with her is great. say like, can we have sex now? Man, try to do something to set the mood. Like, yeah. you, she's in the other room, and so you're just laying in bed, just staring at the ceiling. Come on, dude, get off your duff, do something. Uh, he did the right classic. You... He did the right classic, which is kick, kiss the neck twice, and then boob grab. <laughs> like, I feel like that's what sets the mood better than that. <laughs> mwah, mwah, twist, mwah, mwah, twist. That is a pop song. That's a dance song. <laughs> we need to have it. That's gonna be on the TikTok. Uh, my cringe, and I'm not. I don't get to pick, but my cringe was this movie was doing such a good job of doing one thing specifically, that, and I was waiting for it just because I'm used to like early 80s comedies, uh, and then it blew it right towards the end of Henry Winkler being like, oh, man, my life can't get any worse in the prison cell, and then looks over to a gay yeah. guy who blows a kiss at him and says, like, well, I guess I was wrong. It can get worse. Like, we got so close to the end without that fucking gay panic joke, bro. Yeah. And why did they put a trombone that goes? Wah, wah. <laughs> well, there was a trombone player that was arrested that night, so he was just in there. Uh, that one goes to Greg as well. That fucking jump on a Girl Scout thing or Bluebell. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, in that context, he does say Girl Scout. <laughs> so even grosser because Bluebells are not a real thing. I live on the West Coast. Uh, we have a director named Ron Howard. We tried to talk about him. We avoided the subject because what is the subject? Uh, Mike, what is your director signature moment? Good. I'm glad I'm going first on this. Yeah, we had a whole 10-minute segment that was supposed to be devoted to him. Instead, we said no. So I'm going to say is I, I think Ron Howard is a journeyman, a journeyman director, and the, the Howard Grazer have, have done many things in Hollywood. So I'm going to say that very economical, I think he's good at being economical, that montage of like, let's fucking hustle and get to the part people care about. 
we already gave the right answer to this, Greg. What is? What do you have? Fuck. This is gonna be maybe a weird answer. I can't tell. I, there is sometimes you see something in a movie and you just think he had this idea when he was seven. Um, and I gotta tell you, that dude getting thrown out of the window and falling through the hoop, I am almost sure that an extremely young version of him came up with that idea and is like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. It doesn't really fit with the movie, it takes up a lot of time, it, like, it is hardly connected to anything else that happens. It's the intro before the extremely long, uh, titular song. But I just have this feeling that he always was committed to having that guy get thrown through a basketball hoop. Should we break down the word I, titular? <laughs> <laughs> you learn nobody knows what that means. You got means. tit. We all know what that means. Tit. Chew, that shouldn't I, even I be I heard that he he came up with that shot in between takes of Gary and Deanna on The Music Man. So he did have it. I wish this was a pointed show. I bet I'd get fucking Ron Howard points for that. Absolutely not. Uh, the correct answer is, of course, uh, knowing when to just leave the camera on your two or three incredible yeah. leads. Uh, so no points awarded for that. Uh, and finally, and I don't know, man. Maybe I'm gonna like I'm gonna be a hipster about this. And if you pick the obvious one, you're not gonna get any points. But Greg, pound for pound performance, and. The correct answer is obviously Richard Belzer. If Richard Belzer is in a movie, then he automatically wins this award. But obviously. But that would ruin everything, so we're going to say besides that. Um, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's so close between Henry Winkler and Shelley Longman, but I just... I got to go with Henry Winkler. I just I was really impressed with his work in this. It, Pop um, Filter Hall of Famer yeah, Henry Winkler? Yeah, dude. It, <laughs> it foreshadowed everything he was going to become that taught us his real level of talent. And if he had just more projects delivered to him in this wheelhouse at the age he was when he made this, I think he could have been, a, you know, Michael Keaton and him could have like switched careers from this point forward. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to go Henry Winkler. Between the three that we mentioned for the, the Hall of Fame speech of Zuckerkorn, Cousineau, uh, and the Parks and Rec Saperstein. dentist, Saperstein, um, I feel like that Chuck is trying to not fall, like not have his morals or ethics fall to the ground. Try to like work at every moment. And then in the future, he was like, you know what? My characters fuck that. Like they are as low and disgusting as they possibly can be. Well, still being like nice and conciliatory. So like it takes you a right. second to realize that they are, they will do anything, you know? And there, there's a little bit though of like how, how funny everyone thought it was when Betty White would say something horny. Like yeah. the uh. fact that this is coming out of Henry Winkler's mouth is in, in his future roles was such a part of the comedy. Mike, what do you got? One I have this is pound for pound performance because it should always go to the Belzer. I'm gonna say this is now called the Hell's Bells. Okay, is the name of the award. Sure. Uh, and I think for an ensemble piece and for a comedy to not try to chew the scenery, to not try to one up your your compatriots and just own it. it. Yeah, I agree. It has to be Winkler to always be like, I'll go quieter because he's going louder. Uh, I, I I call that the Brian Husky. You, you, it's just fucking you elevate everybody around you when you do that. Brian Husky, of course, much like um, that other guy name I can never remember. Just I can never remember Brian Husky and I can never remember the other guy. He played <laughs> David Letterman in the Late Shift movie. Uh, John Cameron Mitchell. No. Right? No. That's, that's the director of Short Buzz. Hedwig. Yeah, that's Hedwig. <laughs> Jo- uh, Michael Higgins? John Michael Higgins. Michael, John Michael Higgins. I knew it was a three-namer. <laughs> and Brian Husky. They should get together and do something. I uh, offered nothing guys... in that. I just sat there and watched that happen. Uh, you just watch. You're like, well, let's see if they do it. Don't get there. <laughs> yeah, so two Henry Winklers. I think you guys are right. Uh, a thousand points each. Okay, wait. That's a good idea for a movie. But what if instead of two Henry Winklers, 
We're talking four Henry Winklers. <laughs> Winklopicity. In a war against four Michael Keatons? Yeah. <laughs> and they decide to start various levels of morgue brothels? No matter who wins, we also win. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to see about Night Shift's future in the bracket. All right, gentlemen, as we noted before, this was a bonus show. Night Shift can't win the whole thing, but it can win Moody's. Do you think that it's... What is the over-under on Moody's this movie could win? Three. 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 And under. Let, let's say... Let, I'm going to say two and a half should be the, the over-under. Let me tell you one thing. It, it feels like it's going to be a shoe-in for on-screen duo, except it's going to split its own vote because I think it's got right. three on-screen duos. Oh, no. And one yeah. of those being uh, Michael Keaton and Kevin Costner. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that fucking flash, man. What good and Shannon Doherty and Henry Winkler. <laughs> Does it take down, because I get to add awards for the Moody's at the end of the year. Yeah, do Does it take want. down best Vince Schifarelli performance? I don't know. He did a pretty good job. If I hope this is who I'm thinking of in Fast Times. Right? Also, we is don't know because we have four more performances of his to watch throughout He's going to be in every other movie we watch the rest of 82. <laughs> he worked hard that year. Yeah, I, like, I'm glad that we watched this. I'm glad that we were able to dip a toe in the sex comedy realm. Although maybe we did that with Fast Times anyway, but not like feel terrible about society. Right. Yes. Is is there any movie you guys wish this was in the real bracket instead of? Or is 82, like we've learned every season, uh, every movie, or every year is just a strong year for movies. Every year is a strong year for movies, but also we're, we're the type of people who are like, comedy never gets its due. And then it's because so many comedies we don't are, give it its due. Yeah, like they're so much more <laughs> lazily made than all the other movies. You know, it's yeah. hard yeah, to argue for them. There's so much of a feeling of like, yeah, that was the best we could do that day to, to comedies, you know. So we tried our best. That's, uh, but I, I don't wish that it were in it instead of anything else. But I'm, it it very much did add context and flavor to 1982, <laughs> and I'm glad I saw it because like, this is by far my favorite Shelley Long performance, and I have a different understanding of her as an artist now because this performance was like very good i was just it's very impressive so much so that you buy why she left the hottest show on television to go be in movies yeah to go be in so she, beverly hills yeah that's the only other fucking because my uh my my wife was like why do i know this lady and i was like cheers troops of beverly hills other films like I, well, did she fizzle the money out pit after that? with tom hanks of course the money pit with tom hanks <laughs> all right Greg, we have so many shows I- coming up, but I want to talk to you about two that we still have. Okay. The Thing and Poltergeist. They're still <laughs> out there. I know, dude. They're getting Lurking. close. Eventually, we have I, to. you keep pushing them forward. You keep saying, no, <laughs> not this week. I don't know which one I'm more afraid of. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty equally, I'm pretty equally afraid of both. I, I think it should be The Thing by a lot. I, I think it should be The Thing, but I think it will be Poltergeist. Is it? Okay, I can't wait to find out. It's here. But, like, the catchphrase is for the thing. It's clobbering time, Yancey Street, Ever Loving Blue Eyed. Yeah. Blue Eyed, yeah. Sweet Petunia. Sweet Petunia. My Aunt Petunia's sweet ass. What did he say? Doesn't matter. That was Uh, it. That's the Night Shift Show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on your tied victory. Next week, we will continue to dive into the world of 1982. Please, everyone, keep watching those movies please
So, while Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected anywhere in the U.S. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th. Abortion is a basic health care need for millions of people who can become pregnant. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures shouldn't be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. And we're already seeing certain medical practices be restricted even in those states. You can help by donating to local abortion funds. To find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four, donationsforabortion.com. If you or someone you know needs help or if you want to get more involved, here are five resources. One, Shout Your Abortion is a campaign to normalize abortion. Two, Don't Ban Equality is a campaign for companies to take a stand against abortion restrictions. Three, abortion.cafe has information about where to find clinics. Four, plantcpills.org provides early at-home abortion pills that you can keep in your medicine cabinet. And five, choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co has a collection of these resources and more. You can also find all the links to these resources at podvoices.help and in the show notes. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.